Well, I invite you now to uh, turn uh, in your bulletin to our, our scripture passage, or the continuing of our scripture passage, we should, we should say. Uh, we're on page three. We're going to pick up a few verses after where, where Ross left off. If you've been with us, we've been studying the book of Numbers. Uh, and remember where, where Israel is. They are God's people just outside the promised land. Uh, camped out in the plains of Moab. They've just come off a couple of really big victories over, over kings in the area who would attack them. Uh, God delivered them and defeated those, uh, those great armies. Uh, and now as they're in camp, there's another king nearby who is worrying uh, that he is, uh, is going to be defeated, the king of Moab, Balak. And so you remember we talked about this last week. He has this plan to defeat Israel by hiring this this powerful spiritual weapon, this renowned prophet and diviner, uh, Balaam. Uh, and so he calls him from far off in the east, and he travels, we read last week, yeah, on a donkey, uh, and he arrives this week uh, at, at, uh, in Moab uh, at King Balak, and he be, begins his employment uh, and his work to try to curse Israel. But as we read uh, earlier, his first two attempts were utter failures. Instead of cursing, uh, God gives him this message of blessing uh, for God's people. And now we're going to pick up in chapter 24, and we're, we're going to read his third attempt uh, to, to curse Israel, and then a final fourth that the king of Moab doesn't even ask for, but a final message from, from the Lord. So let's continue reading. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping tribe by tribe, and the Spirit of God came upon him. And he took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, falling down with his eyes uncovered. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, O Israel, like palm groves that stretch afar like gardens beside a river, like aloes that the Lord has planted, like cedar trees beside the waters. Water shall flow from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt and is for him like the horns of a wild ox. He shall eat up the nations, his adversaries and shall break their bones in pieces and pierce them through with his arrows. He crouched, he lay down like a lion, like a lioness. Who will rouse him up? Blessed are those who bless you, cursed are those who curse you. And Balaam's anger was kindled against Balak, uh, and he struck his hands together. And Balak, the king, said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have blessed him these three times. Therefore now, flee to your own place. Uh, I said, I will certainly honor you, but the Lord has held you back from honor. And Balaam said to Balak, Did I not tell your messengers whom you sent me? If Balak should give me his house full of silver and gold, I would not be able to go beyond the word of the Lord to do either good or bad of my own will. <laughs> what the Lord speaks, that will I speak. And now behold, I am going to my people, uh, come, I will let you know what this people will do to your people in the latter days. And he took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, 
who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheath. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also, his enemies, shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly. And one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of the cities. Then he looked on Amalek and took up his discourse and said, Amalek was the first among the nations, but its end is utter destruction. And he looked on Kenite, on the Kenite and took up his discourse and said, Enduring is your dwelling place, and your nest is set in the rock. Nevertheless, uh, Cain shall be burnt when Asher uh, takes you away captive. And he took up his discourse and said, Alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships shall come from Katim and shall afflict Asher and Eber, and he, shall, he too shall come to utter destruction. Then Balaam rose and went back to his place, and Balak also went his way. Let's pray for God's blessing on his word. Lord, even, even as Balaam said, your word is true and your promises are sure. So encourage and strengthen your people even, even this morning, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. How blessed are the people of God? How blessed are they? We talk a lot about blessing and being blessed in church circles. We sing of it, blessed assurance. Come thou fount of every blessing. Maybe you even use it in your speech, you know. How you doing today? Blessed. Okay. How blessed? A little bit blessed? A lot of blessed? Medium blessed? Well, Numbers 23 and 24 is a, is a powerful passage because it's all about blessing. Uh, when cursing is expected, God gives this powerful extended picture of just how blessed the people of God are. Now, right, Old Testament Israel, but we know from God's word that, that if you're a believer in Christ, then you have been brought into that family of God. And as we, as we take this, this look, this kind of bird's eye view of these chapters, right, we're going to just kind of like an airplane or like a bird flying over, kind of take the huge section uh, all at once. Well, not even able to connect every dot and, and mention every detail, but be able to take some in some of the big themes and, and really hone on on how blessed are the people of God. And what we'll discover is God's people are not just a little bit blessed, or even medium blessed, but enormously, shockingly, surprisingly, hard to believe blessed, all because of God and his goodness. Uh, we'll, we'll, take, we'll take it uh, roughly moving our way through the passage, but observing three key themes and, and conclusions uh, so beginning with, with uh, our point one in your outline, how blessed are the people of God? So blessed that in the face of the strongest enemies, God's purposes for us cannot be changed. And so we uh, might remember last week we heard about this great reputation of this mighty one, Balaam. Uh, remember what, what the king said about him. Uh, he, who, uh, he whom you bless is blessed. He whom you curse is cursed. So here's this, 
here's this prophet, priest, diviner figure who is who is has this great reputation for being spiritually powerful, uh, and this is the weapon that's that's aimed at at God's people. Uh, and three different times in this passage, we have uh, we have the the king and Balaam setting up these altars, right? Seven of them every time. Uh, each time, expensive, expensive animals offered up on the altars. I mean, massive amounts uh, of, of money being burned up. Uh, you, you might know that in, in kind of the, the pagan mindset, uh, the idea was you could influence the power of the gods by offering up expensive, extravagant gifts. Right? And here, here they're offering quite a bit. So powerful, powerful, spiritual, spiritual individual uh, powerful offerings up to sway the powers of, uh, of the spiritual realm, and it's all aimed at God's people, uh, attempting to bring down a curse upon them. And so it's in great contrast, then, to see how utterly it fails uh, at every point. Uh, notice uh, some of the details that are, that are given. So first you have just this refrain that's sprinkled throughout the, the two chapters, uh, that Balaam says again and again, uh, and essentially this, uh, I can only say what God gives me to say. I can't go beyond that. Right Here's this spiritually powerful individual who we saw last week is really no friend of God, truly in his heart. He's a friend of his money. Uh, he's, he's out for greed, not really out for the glory of God. But yet even he is unable to do beyond what God allows him to do. And he, and he admits it again and again. I can't say anything that God hasn't given me. I can't go beyond it. Uh, even, even when his very powerful employer uh, yells at him, threatens him, tells him he's not going to pay him a cent, uh, Balaam can't go an inch beyond uh, what God gives him to say. Then you get to some of the, some of the specific verses. Um, so chapter 23, verse 8. So you might... I have to flip back between pages if you want to look at it. So 23, verse 8. Now here we are in the first oracle, the first message uh, that Balaam gets. How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? You get the idea. If God, if God hasn't cursed them, Balaam says, I, I, I can't. I can't. Uh, if God hasn't denounced them, condemned them, I, I can't. Okay, then you move into the second oracle. Look at 23, verse 19. Uh, and there, uh, Balaam gives this message from the Lord. God is not man that he should lie, uh, or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said, uh, has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? You get the idea. You say, God isn't a human. Right? You know, we humans, we, we say one thing and end up doing another. Uh, either because we just refuse to do what we promise, or we don't have the power to do what we promise. Right? Maybe you can even maybe you can even think, when was the last time that someone promised you that they would do something and it never happened? Right? I'll take care of it. Yeah, but it didn't. I I probably you, you can measure it in days, uh, if not hours, uh, that, that someone promised they'd take care of something and they, they didn't. Uh, either because they just ignored it, or they just didn't even have the power to do what they promised. And here, uh, that's humans, right? But here is here is God. He's not man. Uh, and so he will not break his promise. 
Uh, he has not just the power to do it, but he will not change his mind. Uh, that nothing can alter uh, his purpose. He's not going to say one thing and do another because he's not like a human. He doesn't change his mind. If he's promised it, it's going to happen. And what does he promise to do but bless his people? And specifically this people. Um, sprinkled throughout this passage are these, are these echoes, these allusions to God's promises uh, to the patriarchs years back. Uh, his promises to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob. Remember, that's where the nation of Israel comes from. Uh, well, throughout this passage are these echoes of those promises long ago. Uh, let me just give you, give you one example. Uh, chapter 23, verse 10. Chapter 23, verse 10. Uh, here's here's a, what we read. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? Uh, right, that's two ways of talking about the nation. Jacob and Israel, uh, both references to the, the individual who they, whose family then becomes the nation. And so Jacob, remember, his name is changed to Israel, so it's the same, same person. But now it's the same nation. And you notice what, what, what is observed. Who can count the dust of Jacob? Right, right, this nation, like, like, like the dust of the earth. Uh, God had made that exact promise to the individual Jacob centuries before. So here's, here's Genesis 28. Uh, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. That was God's word to the individual Jacob. Actually, it was a, it was a repetition of a promise he had given to Jacob's grandfather, uh, Abraham, years before that, where God said in Genesis 13... I will make your offspring, Abraham, as the dust of the earth. And now, now here you get this echo years later as Balaam looks out upon the, the encampment of Israel and, and he's, it's, it's, it's beginning to be fulfilled. Who, who can count? It's, it's like the dust. God is keeping his promise. Yeah, of course. Of course, because that's who God is. He, he doesn't change his mind. If he promised, it's going to happen. Uh, and now, if again, as we said before, this isn't just uh, ethnic Israel in the Old Testament. Uh, because, because God promises that the true children of Abraham uh, are those who trust in the, the God of Abraham and the promises given to Abraham. Whether you're ethnically a descendant, uh, those who are true descendants of Abraham are those who have Abraham's faith in God. And so if that's you... Uh, you're trusting in, in, in Abraham's God and the, and the, the Jesus uh, who came from that line, uh, then, then there is this promise is for you. This God is your God. You're numbered among the people of God. And so you start to think, go to that, to that question. Okay, so how blessed are the people of God? How, how blessed am I if you're, if you're a follower of Christ? So blessed that, that God, his promises, they will not be changed. And you can count on it. No matter what spiritual power uh, comes to bear, uh, there, there is nothing that will have God change his mind or change his purpose. And so you start to maybe think of, of God's promises. Maybe think of, uh, think of Ephesians 1, where God says that the people of God are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Yeah, that's, that's us. And God's not going to change his mind. Uh, or, or maybe you think of God's promise to, to never leave you or forsake you. Yeah, that's for us. And God's not going to change his mind. 
Or maybe you think of his promise to, to transform his people into the likeness of Christ. Uh, so we're gloriously like him inside and out. Yeah, that's God's promise to us, and he's not going to change his mind. Or maybe you think specifically of this promise of the uh, descendants of Abraham to be like the dust of the earth. Uh, yeah, that's going to be fulfilled too. Uh, and is being fulfilled as God's building his kingdom until it gets to the book of Revelation where you see there is this innumerable multitude uh, of the children of Abraham by faith. Uh, God will fulfill it. And he is. And we're living examples of it. Uh, he's not going to change his mind. And that's how blessed we are. And in the, in the midst of all the, uh, the enemies of, of our souls, that God's purposes will not change. We're that blessed. Secondly, we are so blessed that we are not treated as we deserve. Not treated as we deserve. Now, now it's helpful to understand a little bit of how cursing is supposed to work in the, the ancient pagan mindset. Uh, so the, the idea is this. You have a, a gifted pagan prophet, diviner, uh, who would use various methods of divination to uncover spiritual understanding, spiritual secrets. Uh, uncover this spiritual knowledge. Uh, in particular, if you're trying to curse someone, uncover the spiritual sins and wickedness of your enemy. Uh, because if you uncover it, then you could present it before, uh, before the gods and, and call down judgment upon them. Look how wicked they are. Condemn them. Uh, so this is, this is how, uh, essentially, Balak almost definitely was thinking he was, he was getting himself into. This is what he was putting his money towards. Uh, the king wants to curse Moab, so he's thinking, okay, i got to hire the best prophet diviner out there. We'll bring Balaam in from far off. So Balaam's going to be able to come in and through, uh, through his spiritual power, uh, uncover... Uh, uncover the spiritual dirt of Israel so that that could be presented for God and, and condemn them, God. Look how awful they are. Right? You might even remember uh, Balaam using that language of denouncing. Uh, yeah, that's the whole point. He's trying to denounce God's people, have them cursed uh, by uncovering with spiritual power all the wickedness uh, of, of Israel. Now, of course, we know what, what Balaam and Balak don't know uh, which is the rest of the book of Numbers. Uh, and, and we know uh, all the, the spiritual wickedness that really is there in Israel. All right? You know, so if you want to uncover things uh, to, to denounce this people, well, that is, like, take your pick. Right? Remember all we've seen in the book of, in the book of Numbers. I mean, you just go, go down the list. He's got his choice of, uh, of wickedness in Israel. Okay, that the people grumbling repeatedly about everything from food to water to who their leader is, uh, right? Rejecting God's, uh, God's promise to be with them, refusing to obey and go into the promised land. Like, take your pick. There is all this thing, all this wickedness that could be uncovered and they could be denounced for. Maybe just push pause there. Um, what, if, what if someone paid... Uh, to have spiritual dirt dug up on you, right? You, you're kind of getting the idea. This is essentially like the ancient version of a politician uh, who hires somebody uh, to dig up dirt on his opponent, right? You, you find the, the skeletons in his closet, ah, then that guy's going to lose the election. That's, this is kind of the ancient pagan version of that. Uh, so so what, if, what, what if somebody paid to dig up some dirt on you? What would they, what would they discover? 
a scary question. You know, what if, what if, what if they used all the technology of this world to be able to, to, to listen in and look in, and even in the quiet secrets? Uh, of course, when we're talking about spiritual things, it's not just uh, that which is visible, but even the, even the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Man, if, there, is, there, is, there is skeletons. There is dirt to be dug up on each of us. It's not just Israel. In fact, Israel gives us a good picture of our own hearts and how we uh, complain and, con- and condemn and disobey and man, take your pick if someone wanted to denounce us. Uh, okay, so this is, this, is, this is what's going on. One, one more thing to note. Essentially what we're talking about here is, is what the tactic of Satan is. Uh, right? Satan, actually, the name means accuser. Right? This, is what, this is what he does. This is reflected uh, here, echoed here. Uh, because Satan, uh, his whole point is to try to condemn. He's even called the accuser of the brethren. Right? To denounce God's people. Look how awful they are. You get a, a vision of this. Maybe you recall that passage in Zechariah 3. Zechariah has this vision of, of, uh, of God, and there is Satan coming before God uh, to, to denounce and condemn uh, this individual who represents the nation. It's Joshua, the high priest. Right? The priest represents the nation. And Satan's there to, to denounce him. Right? Because here's Joshua, and he's covered in filthy garments. Right? Not representing the holiness of God instead of it's a picture of sin and wickedness. Right? Yeah, because the whole nation is wicked. And, and here they are. And Satan's right there to say, look at this. Right? Uh, that, would be, that would be us. That would be us. Unless God did something. Unless God didn't treat us as our sins deserve. And you see that in our story. Okay, so back to our story. You have, you have Balaam who's hired to do this job of Satan, essentially. Dig up the spiritual dirt, condemn, denounce Israel. And they had, like, take your pick, all this choice uh, of, of sins. But then you start to read at how, how Balaam is, is what he actually sees in God's people. Uh, so, for example, chapter 23, verse 10. Um, Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? Then Balaam says, let me die the death of the upright. Let my end be like his. You see what Balaam is saying? He's saying, I, I, I want to have this destiny, this destiny of Israel. It's the destiny of the upright. So, so he's looking out at, at God's people and he's saying, ah, I want to be like them, like the upright. And maybe you're thinking, Israel, upright? Is this the same people? Okay, uh, you, you kind of forward along, now to the next oracle. Chapter 23, verse 21. Um, actually, the, the King James captures this a little bit better, uh, the, the, the Hebrew here, I think. And so I'll read it in the, in the King James 23, verse 21. Um, speaking of God, God hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. God hasn't seen iniquity, perverseness, Sin and wickedness in Israel. He hasn't seen it. Balaam gets from the Lord. And again, we're thinking, like, is he, is he talking about the same people? This, this numbers, wilderness people? We've seen all kinds of wickedness uh, in, in them. It, it doesn't, doesn't seem, to, seem to make sense, uh, right? Um, and you start to maybe get the idea. 
God, they, this people will not be cursed, will not be denounced, because God doesn't view them uh, as sinful. He views them as spotless. Uh, and not only will they not be cursed, but they're actually going to be blessed as if they were spotless. Uh, and so uh, let's, let's quickly look at, at Balaam's third oracle. We can't get into all the details, uh, but the third oracle, oracle is chapter 24, 3 to 9. And just quickly notice that in, that in this third oracle, you have, as, as God is, through Balaam, describing the people of Israel, that he uses Garden of Eden language. Right? See, if you can, see if you can pick it up. Uh, I would, I'll just read verse 6, chapter 24, verse 6. Um, like palm groves that stretch afar, like gardens beside a river, like aloes that the Lord has planted, like cedar trees beside the waters. That's, that's Garden of Eden language. Rivers and trees and gardens planted by rivers. Like, like any Israelite would be like, oh, that, that's, that's how Genesis begins. That's how this whole books of Moses begins, the Garden of Eden. And God is using Garden of Eden language to describe just how blessed his people are. Uh, and again, maybe we're like, well, but hold it. We've just seen chapter after chapter of Israel committing the same kinds of sins that had Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden. Right? Doubting God's goodness, disobeying his commandments. right? The very things uh, that had Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden and we see Israel committing the same things. And yet, and yet the, the, the message is, they are blessed. Garden of Eden blessed. Uh, and again, we're, what's, what's going on? But maybe what God is doing is exactly what we, we know him to do. Uh, that he's looking at his people and he's not treating them as their sins deserve. Instead, he's doing something so that they're blessed exactly like they don't deserve. Uh, maybe you think of that picture, if you're familiar with it, and mentioned the vision of Zechariah 3, right? That, uh, that, uh, that filthy high priest before, before the Lord, Satan about to denounce him. Remember how God fixes the problem. Uh, he, he has uh, Joshua's filthy garments representing the people's sin. He has them taken off, and instead he is clothed with bright, pure, white, shining garments. Reclothed, so that now Satan's got nothing to denounce, which is a picture of the gospel, which is a picture of what God does in Christ uh, to His people. Here is how here is how they are they are blessed. He removes uh, our, our our sin. Uh, he removes our the filth of our sin and, and clothes us with the righteousness of Christ, so that God views us. Uh, like, like Balaam sees Israel, not, not as those who are sinful, deserving to be denounced, uh, but as if we are what we are not by nature, which is spotless in God's uh, Garden of Eden blessed. Not, not because you and I deserve it. Not because if, uh, if the politician's crooked friend went to sneak in your closet, they would find it perfectly pure. Uh, but, 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 Garden of Eden blessed because God has done something about it. Uh, he is, he's removed that filthy record of our sin and clothed us with the perfection of Christ so that God, God looks at us and, and, and the message from his mouth is upright. There is, there, is, there, there is nothing to condemn. There is no perverseness in my people. Right? He views them as holy and blameless 
in his sight, all because of the work of Christ. And then blesses them, right? Garden of Eden blessing, uh, all not because we're not like Adam and Eve, we are, uh, but he treat, treats us not as our sins deserve. There's the good news uh, of, the, of the gospel. And the, the Garden of Eden that we're headed to, right? That's how God describes heaven itself, that heavenly garden. Uh, and the foretastes we get of it now, the Holy Spirit with us, uh, God's presence, the, the living waters of God's Spirit strengthening and renewing us, those Garden of Eden blessings, we have them. Uh, and we can be confident of them, again, because God not treating us as our sins deserve, but viewing us as spotless in his sight, because of Christ, which is already getting us into our final point, which we'll, we'll, we'll have to be briefer on, uh, but, is, but is where this, this passage culminates and is really uh, the reason behind it all. <clears throat> we could say, how blessed are God's people? So blessed, because the king has come and will come again. So you get this final message from the Lord. This is the one that, that the king of Moab doesn't even ask for, but God's going to give it anyway. Uh, and, and here it comes. Uh, here's the, the, opening, the opening really powerful verse, verse 17 of chapter 24. Balaam says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. So Balaam has this vision of, of an individual who is to come, but not soon. A distant, right? I, I see him, but not now. And what is what is he just this individual described as? Uh, a, a star, uh, a scepter coming out of Israel. Star, scepter, those are images of a king. So Balaam has this has this vision of a, of a king coming, coming out of God's people Israel. Uh, a king who will come, as the oracle goes on to say, and defeat all of God's enemies. Uh, all those who oppose uh, the people of God. And it, it's true that, that King David and his dynasty is a, is a little tiny shadow of fulfillment, but just enough to point to something bigger and better that God promises is coming. And that, of course, is King Jesus. Uh, the ultimate scepter that emerges from Jacob. The ultimate star uh, that comes uh, out of Israel. You might remember uh, in Revelation 22, here's what Jesus says about himself. Uh, Jesus says, I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. And, and kids, I think you remember this one. Do you remember uh, when Jesus was born, what was the sign that the king had arrived? Uh, the sign that, that people followed to know where the king was. Do you remember what it was? A star. Right? A star appeared. And you remember who noticed that star and followed that star? Right, kids, you remember that. You remember it was the Magi? Magi who are prophets, diviners, who come from the east, Balaam's hometown. They're, 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 they're foreign diviners, prophets like Balaam. And they followed the star that Balaam talked about. Uh, followed it to Israel, kind of like Balaam did, coming, going close. Uh, only, of course, Balaam came uh, to, to get money for himself, uh, trying to curse Israel. 
But here are these magi who come uh, and follow the star in order to give their riches, uh, to worship uh, Israel's king that Balaam just saw from afar. This Jesus uh, who has come, what do the magi say? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. This King Jesus who Balaam saw from afar, he comes. And he does conquer. Right, His first coming, uh, he conquers by dying on a cross, uh, by rising again. There's how he, he brings, about, uh, brings about his victory. Uh, and it's good news for us as sinners because we know what that cross is all about. Uh, it's Jesus bearing that curse that we deserve. Right? This is how Jesus, or how the, the Lord can give us all the blessing and none of the curse because all the curse goes on Jesus. This star, this king that Balaam saw from afar. Here's how God brings about the victory. Uh, So that we can be Garden of Eden blessed for all eternity, Jesus bears the curse for us. He is treated, he is viewed by God uh, as as having all the wickedness that's by nature really ours. And so he defeats uh, the powers of sin and death. uh, And we get all the blessings. Now, as, as that, that oracle goes on and speaks of Jesus in, uh, in conquering uh, terms, we also need to remember that the king, he has come once to save, and he will come once again uh, to judge and to defeat all his enemies. Now, that the lamb who was slain uh, to bear our sin, uh, Revelation says, is going to come again. Uh, as, a, as a roaring lion, as a, as a king on a great war horse, and there is a, a great defeat of all those who refuse to bow the knee to King Jesus. Uh, all the powers, spiritual and, and human. Uh, and so this king is not to be, uh, not to be trifled with. There is, a, in a sense, as, as Balak gets this oracle from Balaam, that he should, he should tremble at news of this king who is coming. And so all who line up against Jesus and refuse to bow down to him, refuse to trust uh, in what God says, should, should tremble. This king is coming again, and he will conquer. Uh, and it's, that judgment is real. Uh, and so if you don't know Christ, uh, th- there, is, there is only the only thing, a uh, promise that, that you can be sure of is that the king's going to come back in judgment for all who don't bow to him. Uh, but of course, there's this great promise uh, to come and believe, Jesus, Jesus invites, he commands uh, that, that all who trust in him will be saved and numbered among the people of God. Uh, and so if that's you, you are trusting in Christ, uh, then this good news of the, the scepter and the star rises out of Jacob, this is good news for us. Uh, because the king has come and he's, and he's defeated our sin and death by bearing our curse uh, so that all the blessing is ours. In fact, he's going to come back and for us, who are, who are numbered among his people, he comes back only to bestow blessing, only to, to give that fullness of the heavenly Eden. So, blessed. How blessed? A little blessed? Well, if, if you're named among the people of God, it's enormously blessed. It's really shockingly blessed. Uh, it doesn't mean that, that life in, in the wilderness is easy, or happy, uh, or or peaceful all the time. Uh, it's not. We're, we're talking about blessed in this time, blessed in the in the wilderness, uh, and we've seen this in, in throughout Numbers. It is the wilderness. 
Uh, in fact, Israel here, who, who gets so much blessing, they're, they're still in the wilderness. In fact, as we mentioned, they've just come off a pair of battles. And they were victorious by God's grace and power, uh, but no doubt they're beaten up and, and bruised and, and bloodied. Uh, so what we're talking about is uh, God's people being bruised but blessed. Maybe that's actually a good way to describe life this side of heaven for God's people, for us. Bruised but blessed. Right? That, that there is these, these ugly battles of this world and it hurts and it's hard and we're beaten up and bloodied and bruised. Uh, but the good news from God's word is that we are bruised but blessed. Because God keeps his promises and nothing will have him change his mind. Uh, because God treats us not as we deserve, but views us in Christ. And that he will come back to bring in the fullness of that, that Garden of Eden blessing. That time when, well, all the bruises will be gone. And nothing but blessing remains. And so we say to that king uh, who has come, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would encourage your people, strengthen and build up and Lord, enable us to know that which is true, that we might rest in you and the goodness of your power and your promises in Christ. We pray in his name.